Welcome to the My Opinion Podcast, the leadership podcast for women. This is a show that focuses on leadership, life, and love to empower women around the world to be the leader of their life. The My Opinion Podcast is a weekly show with Maya's Motivation Monday, focusing on leadership topics for women that feature guest interviews as well as solo episodes with Maya. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share the My Opinion Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Now, in her opinion, here's your host, Maya Roffler. Hi, guys. Welcome back to My Opinion. I have another incredible guest here today. Her name is Faith Jones. Faith is the author of I Own Me. She's also the author of her new book, Sex Cult Nun, which is an intriguing title. And she's a practicing attorney. She teaches. I'm not sure what you don't do. So welcome to the show, Faith. Thank you, Maya. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I've Listen to your podcast. I love your insights on leadership, especially feminine leadership. I think it's a very important and necessary topic, and I'm happy to be here to talk about that with you today. Thank you. I do too, which is why I relaunched the podcast talking about leadership, and I'm excited to talk about leadership with you. So tell us a little bit about yourself. You're a very accomplished woman. You're a practicing attorney, published author. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are. So I had a very untraditional background, and that is part of the book that I just wrote, Sex Cult Nun. In fact, (laughs) so many people that I knew and on LinkedIn and everything, I went to Berkeley Law School. I um, I ended up in Skadden Arps doing billion-dollar M&A deals in Hong Kong and Los Angeles and around the world. And so a lot of my classmates and colleagues had no idea about my background because I actually kept it secret for, you know, almost 18 years. So finally going public with it and writing this book, which is my memoir, it's called Sex Cult Nun. And that was about me growing up in a cult, a cult founded by my family. It was known as the Children of God. It's quite famous. In fact, there are Netflix documentaries and Discovery Channel documentaries and numerous other things that have many newspaper articles and things that have been written about this group over the years. Quite a few famous people were in it when they were small children, like uh, the Phoenix siblings and Rose McGowan. Mm -hmm. But I didn't feel like somebody had written a book kind of cataloging it in a way. My experience was different from a lot of the people because I was born into it and I didn't leave till I was in my early 20s. And so that kind of traversed a very... Uh, not just a wide range of my life, but also of the sort of the evolution of this group as well. And because it was my family that started it in, a, in a many ways, its history is also like a, a personal part of who I am. So writing this book was a very interesting journey. <laughs> I do give a lot of very detailed descriptions of life in the group. I I set it in a way so it's not just like a lot of memoirs, you kind of look back. This is like in the moment, written more like a novel so that you're like, you know, this is what I'm speaking from my perspective when I was five, six, seven years old, all the way up till I was going through college and I had left the group and, you know, was really coming to some realizations of my own on the abuses that had happened in the group. It was a religious a religious organization. And my grandfather used the Bible to justify a lot of his own. I think predilections, leanings. And so 
But I wanted to show that, you know, there's a way in which people who joined this group were very idealistic, very self-sacrificing. They really believed in God and a better way and wanted to, you know, save the world and save others. And, and it was a difficult life. This was not an easy life. So what I really questioned, especially after I'd left and I had a new perspective and I can actually look back and see uh, some of these different things that were really wrong and abusive. I mean, coercing women into having sex with people they didn't want to, which is actually rape, very manipulative and coercive te- tactics. When I was a child, and although this policy changed, there was, you know, sexual interactions with children. And, but more than that, uh, just kind of this, this deep spiritual manipulation, and which is actually common in a lot of groups. And also taking, and I, I, finally, I finally figured it out, I guess you could say, when I created this framework, it was kind of one of those aha moments. I was on an, an airplane and, you know, it was just like all the pieces that had been, I could like see them in my brain. And then they all just kind of click, 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 came into place. And I was like, oh my God, I've got it, yeah. you know? And when I understand this, this, what this was, the core of it was our self-ownership that I, as a you know, spiritual or conscious being, whatever you want to call, I own my own body. This is my property. That is the core of everything that we consider moral. So this framework um, that I talk about, I did a TEDx talk called I Own Me and it's, it's there. So you can like see me run through it quite quickly on that TEDx talk. But I show how even everything that we consider the moral law fix, fits into one of these five rings. And to me, that was just such a revelation. I was like, wow, abuses of the body, right? Of our property right in our body, our murder, rape, slavery, right? That is, those are only wrong because I have a property right in my body. Now, what was the core sexual harassment? For instance, right? There's something we women deal with, hopefully less now than we used to, but still it's plenty still out there it's all the time, right? This sense of, you know, oh, well, yeah, I grabbed your ass, but I didn't hurt you, right? Mm-hmm. And you're like, no, that's my property. Just touching it without my permission, that's a violation of my right in my property. You don't just take my phone, you know, you don't just jump in my car and take it for a ride. I get to choose who enters my space, who touches me. And that violation is complete, even if I'm not harmed or hurt, you see? And, And it's just a whole, it's a lens that allows us when we pick up this lens, it's like, you know, when you wear, if you wear contacts, or you wear your glasses, right? Yes. You know, you don't have them on and everything's kind of blurry, can't quite see it clearly. And then as soon as you put them on, all of a sudden it comes into sharp relief and you can clearly see these are the distinctions. These are the lines. That's what this framework does. I call it the 10 principles of integrity or the 10 principles of conduct, right? And so when I, but the, the core principle I understood the reason that allowed all of these violations to take place in this group was that their core message was you don't own yourself. Wow. You don't own your body. And they used to quote a verse that said, for you're not your own, you're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. They would say, this says you don't own yourself. Your body belongs to God. Therefore, it belongs to us really as the leadership, right? It belongs to the group. Now that's the leap. (laughs) Okay. And that was a misinterpretation of that scripture anyways. But what the, and they use that to justify, to say, 
you don't have any choice in what you do with your body. You, whatever we tell you to do, you need to do it. Whether that's sleeping with this person, even if you don't want to, whether that's giving up your children, whether that's being separated from your spouse, whether that is, you know, being sent to do work that you don't want to do, right? No matter what it was, it was justified by the sense that, well, you don't own yourself anyway. Okay. And that, so when I understood that was the core, that was like the seed of corruption that allowed all of this in. Because I used to ask myself, how could these people, people we would generally consider to be nice, good, kind, you know, people, how could they both submit to abuses, but also engage in abuses against others, right? And it came from this sense that they had about themselves and about the other people that they didn't own themselves. Right. Therefore, they had no right to their own voice, their own self-determination. Like paramount was obedience and submission. Now, how does that factor into how we live even in our day-to-day life as women and out here in regular society? When I came out here, I still saw those same thought processes and principles everywhere here. Still, so many of my friends, I mean, I would say the majority of them uh, experience some kind of sexual abuse as children. It's so widespread out here in society as well. And a lot of, and of course, I mean, you know, almost all of us women experience some kind of sexual harassment, oh, yes. <laughs> abuse. I mean, so many have experienced sexual assault, right? At least a third of women in America, that's what the statistics say, have experienced sexual assault. It's unimaginable in a way. It's mm-hmm. we have a culture of this. Mm-hmm. So that's part of my passion is to say how we need to reverse this. And and it comes in two places. First of all, is men need to understand how to think about us, how to approach us, not with a sense of entitlement, right? But with a sense of respect that we own our own property or it's our own body. And the other really is for women because over generations, we have been taught this concept that we don't really own ourselves. Mm-hmm. And it used to be that, you know, it was on the law books that we were property, right? And now I mean, that, yeah, that was kind of an issue right there, right? So, right. <laughs> yeah. But now that it's taken off the law books, the next issue is we still have that same underlying messages that we get all the time, right? They, those still exist in society. What are those messages that cause us to not stand up for ourselves? Women are supposed to be nice. Women are supposed to be compliant. You as a woman don't want to make a man uncomfortable, right? It's almost like making somebody else uncomfortable is the highest uh, form of wrong versus standing up for your own rights, right? And protecting yourself and the rights of protection. So, I mean, I'm sure it's happened to you. It's happened to me plenty of times where some guy is being handsy or he's, you know, just acting in a way that, and, and it used to happen to me a lot more than it does now. It doesn't happen to me that much anymore, you know? And at that time, I would just kind of take it. I would just be like, I would be uncomfortable, but I wouldn't say anything. Yes. And I would just be like, okay, well, I don't want to upset him. I don't want to look like a bitch, you know, that kind of a thing. And that mindset, what, like getting into that mindset is, is really wild, right? Because I'm so connecting with you. But I didn't come from the same background as you, but I still felt that way. Why? Because of this residual effect of what's been, you know, it used to be law that we were property and all of this. I think this is so fascinating because I felt the same way, but I don't have the same background as you. And I'm sure a lot of my listeners are going, yes, I've done that too. And like, I don't want to upset him. I don't want to cause a stir. I don't want to report this. I don't want to do that. 
And I think as we get older and we start to realize, and I love this, as you start to own yourself, I own me, your first book and this entire framework that you've come up with, which I think is beautiful. And I want you to walk us through that just at a high level, if you can, in a second. But yeah, I own me in every way, physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. And I think I love that we're talking about the physical today because I think that gets lost a lot. And I don't think I've ever talked about that on this podcast, specifically in a leadership perspective. So this is really incredible, Faith. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I and, and you're right. Pretty much all women I talk to absolutely resonate with this because it it's a societal issue. It's a worldwide societal issue. Yes. And we have to be at the forefront of spreading good ideas and changing how people think. And we have to do it by giving a clear, concrete saying, this is what is true. I own my body. If I do not own my body, that means there is no moral wrong in things like rape, slavery, murder, right? So the opposite cannot be true. Yes. (laughs) And I am a very logical person. I work through everything by logic. I'm also a lawyer. You're an attorney, of course. You're going to be logical. Yeah, and I love that about you. Yeah, but you're also talking about something very deep and deep rooted into not just here in the US, but also my listeners that listen from all over the world. This is a worldwide issue. Like you said, this, it doesn't matter. It might be culturally a little different in some areas or more extreme in some areas than others, but it still exists and it's still applicable. So it's relatable. And yeah, we need to change the narrative. We need to change how this happens, you know, and Absolutely. how we're seen. It's, it's wild. I want to talk about this for just a second, Faith, because I'm loving your passion with this. This is in your story is incredible. And I actually have heard of the of the cults where you're, you came from. I'm like, wow, I can't believe this is where you came from, because how does faith go from that from your early 20s to now attorney to book writing and owning herself? And my tag phrase for the, the show, for my opinion is uh, how to be the leader of your life. And you learned how to own me, own yourself. So that to me on the plane, you know, I typically ask my guest at the end, you know, you know, what advice do you have in leadership? And we're going to get into that. But I also ask, you know, when did you really step into your leadership? That was a huge moment for you on the plane when all that kind of clicked for you. And I own me and this happened. Can you kind of tell us the, the framework? I think you've mentioned some of them, but the framework that you have, it's right behind you. Yes. And I'll apply it to leadership specifically. Fabulous. The, the first ring, right? And when I go through this with leaders, the first ring is the ring of body, right? This is, I own my body and therefore I own everything that comes from my body. What are the things that come from my body? My actions, my thoughts, my emotions. So the flip side of ownership is what? If I own something, I am responsible for it. That is the flip side. So if I claim total ownership over myself and I tell people this is one of the keys to healing, this is the key to standing up for yourself, you have to say, I have absolute responsibility for who I am now, for my choices now. I, the violations I experienced in the past, those were not my fault. You know, things that happened to me as a child, not my fault. But, and you can read my article in psychology today as I break down like really those things, how children cannot be, you know, responsible if they're sexually abused, et cetera. I break it down very clearly, but the, what I do now, whether I search for my own happiness, how I learn to deal with my emotions, that's all on me. 
So the very first step for a leader is to take responsibility for themselves, for their own emotions, for their own actions, for their own reactions to things, right? Because you can't deal with things in an optimal way if your own emotions are constantly being triggered and you know, you're constantly putting yourself, letting those things explode. So first up, when I recognize that I have responsibility for myself, my emotions, my thoughts, my actions, my happiness, then I say, okay, now I need to learn about it. <laughs> okay. Um, whether that's taking classes on emotional IQ or whatever that is, right? On communication, because I'm responsible for the things for myself, for my own internal works. And the next step is I'm responsible for my creations, for what I create in the world, right? And this is the this is where a lot of women get into trouble here. Is and this also goes into the next layer, which is the deal. The, the next layer of deal, contracts, relationships, and exchanges, right? So if I if I own something, then I own everything that is created by it. So I own my body, therefore I own my services as a lawyer. I own the inventions I make. I own the books I write, right? Unless I make a contract like I did with HarperCollins for the rights of my book, you right, see, right. but I have to make a contract to give those away. And in that contract, there is an exchange. They pay you. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. So this is where we as women especially struggle because we've been taught we don't own ourselves. We've been taught that other people have the rights to us, to our work, right? To our efforts. We're supposed to work for free. We're supposed to help others, quote unquote be nice, you know, all of this sort of stuff. And I look at my, my boyfriend, my partner, and, you know, the thing that comes out of his mouth all the time is like, what? They're not paying me. I'm not going to tell him what to do with that. You are nailing this faith because you are so right. Right. That is, that is a major issue with women versus men. And not every man has this down, but it, it is like, we're such innately like givers and women always wonder why. And like, oh, I'll just do it. It's not, it's just one more thing, or it's not a big deal, or we don't ask for our worth. You know, all these things are rolling up into what you're saying. And it's, I love how you're explaining this. This is like, I mean, incredible. so then go back to the source. If we don't believe we really own ourselves in the first place, and that's what we've been taught, then how can we fight for to get paid for our creations and what we do and our work, right? Yes. We don't, we're not taught to value those things. Have you thought about starting a podcast, but the only thing that's holding you back is finding that perfect co-host to launch that podcast with? We understand that challenge here at findacohost.com. And that's exactly why we launched our White Glove service to help you find your perfect match at findacohost.com. Right now, we are in our beta mode and we're helping podcasters or future podcasters just like you find your perfect match. Visit us at findacohost.com and use our complimentary code VIP100 to test out our service right now and find your perfect match and start podcasting today. Now, men on the other side generally have a very strong sense of self and self-ownership. They have been raised that way. You go back to the old movies, right? I'd like to use this example. You watch one of those old John Wayne movies 
Mm-hmm. You know how the cowboys are walking past each other and one guy bumps into another in a bar and then it's this yeah. huge explosion and we're going to have a shoot it out, right? Yeah. You touch my property, right? And then a few minutes later, right? John Wayne is with the heroine of the movie, the woman. And what does he do? He grabs her by the arm and pulls her and jerks her around and pulls her into his arms and starts smooshing his face against her. And that's supposed to be romantic. Right. That's supposed to be okay. Can you imagine right. him doing that to some guy in the bar? And what was good? What, you know, no. like you see a completely <laughs> different sense yeah. of self and self ownership. And we don't, you know, it's just so prevalent. We, we stop seeing it, but it really affects how we as women behave in business. So when I really claim I own myself, I own my time, I don't owe it to anybody. I don't, unless you're going to pay me, I don't owe you anything. And I don't have to just be nice. Okay. <laughs> right? That is the attitude that men have about this stuff. And because they do have a strong sense of self, my time is my own. If I want to go watch a football game, I'm going to do it. If you're not paying me, why should I waste my, why, why should I give you my time? Right. Yep. So we need to have a bit more of that in ourselves, standing up for ourselves. That's the only way we're going to make time for the things that we need, right? Our space, going for a massage, our, like all of this sort of stuff that we talk about, self-love, self-care. Why do we not have time for it? Because we keep giving and giving and giving to people who aren't paying us, right? And then we still have to do the work that makes money as well. <laughs> right. So then- <laughs> Where, where are we? We don't own me anymore. Like, where are we? We're gone. We're not in the picture anymore. Yeah. I'm totally getting this. This is, res- yeah. I hope it's resonating with you guys too, because I'm getting this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then the next layer is the layer of the deal, right? And this layer is there's five elements to every valid contract. Okay. But really these are the underlying principles. It has nothing to do with, you know, the legal term of contract. These are the principles that we understand that if any one of these elements is missing, then that agreement is theft. It's not a valid agreement, right? And so we want to think about these things. And this comes into play a lot with employer-employee relationships, right? Because why? That's a contract. So what are the elements? You have to have an offer, a clear offer. I need to know what the terms are that I am agreeing to. If I'm filling a role as an employee, I have got to know what's expected of me? What are the terms? So often I find, and this is my own clients, right? They're hiring on independent contractors and stuff. And every time I say, put a list of like, what are your milestones? What are your services? What are the targets these people are expected to hit? And so often they don't do it out of laziness oftentimes, right? Mm -hmm. And then later on, we have a problem and the person's not fulfilling and they want to fire them. Then it's like, but you didn't really give them the specifics of what they were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. See, you didn't give them the results you wanted them to achieve. You have to give people specifics. So that's a huge issue with employers and employees. And as a leader, being really clear with this is what I expect from you. And this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to do it, right? Otherwise, it's hard to blame them if they don't do it. Okay. So offer, clear offer. Uh, there has to be willing acceptance. The other person has to say, yes, I accept the offer. There has to be an actual exchange of value. So, you know, that's payment. And as the employee, you need to be like, okay, they are paying me for this. If I am not doing this, then I am not earning my pay, right? It's not, I'm not entitled to a job. (laughs) I actually have to do something about it. So there has to be an actual exchange of value. Now, the last two become huge issues in so many areas of our lives. One is 
the mutual understand, you have to have the capacity to understand the nature of the contract. Okay. So this is where it comes into play with children, right? So children, people with dementia, we do not allow them to contract because they do not have the mental capacity to understand the implications of what they are agreeing to. So that comes into play all kinds of, in all kinds of ways, sexual abuse, other types of stuff like that. And the last one is undue pressure, no undue pressure. Now, in the law, if there is undue pressure, what does that mean? That is blackmail, okay? That is blackmail. So if um, I say, if you don't sign this contract, I'm going to, you know, post these photos of you on the internet, okay? Mm -hmm. We understand that. We're like, oh, blackmail, okay? Now, in relationships, we, psychologists have a term for this. It's called emotional blackmail, right? So how are we using negative pressure to get people to do things they wouldn't otherwise do, right? How are we using manipulation, peer pressure? For a lot of us, it's roles, right? Saying, well, you should do that as my wife. You should do that as my husband. You should do that because you're my daughter, my this or my that, right? We use roles to pressure people Mm -hmm. into it instead of saying, this is what we clearly agree to. And, you know, if I want you to do something else, I'm going to make you an offer, (laughs) right? In employee-employer relationships, asking people to work late or overtime without offering them something more in exchange, right? Without saying, oh, I'll pay you for your extra time or the extra Or having that in the original agreement that that's an option, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Oh, this is resonating so much with me because I, I'm, I'm sure a lot of you guys listening have been through this too, have gone through this, not only in the workplace, I've gone through this in personal relationships, in my family relationships, the expectation to do things just because you are X, Y, whatever daughter, you know, sister, that's family, right? Friend, that'll happen too. Right. But then in the workplace, you should do this because you're my VP or you're my director or you're, you just should do this. Well, and as women, we struggle with that faith to your point. We struggle. There's like this sense of guilt that always went on inside of me. And I've really worked on reprogramming that. And it's taken me to my mid thirties to like, and I still have to consciously do that. That's where this really comes in and helps because Mm -hmm. For me, this can completely eliminate the guilt. When you really understand it, it can actually eliminate guilt. There's a couple of ways I actually do this to eliminate guilt. One is when I understand I fully own myself, that means I do not owe it to anybody. This is my property. I don't owe my time. I don't owe my money. I don't owe my health to anyone unless they're making me an offer that I feel good about right? Unless they're making me an offer, say, hey, come do this and I'll do this with you. Okay. I like it. That's a good exchange. I'm happy to do that, right? Any other type of manipulation, pressure, guilt tripping, every one of those things is a violation of that principle, no undue pressure. So I already know it's theft. And once I recognize what they're doing, I can recognize, hey, maybe they don't know this framework. Maybe I can teach it to them, but what they're doing is wrong, not what I'm doing. They are trying to use, they're basically trying to steal from me. That's a moral violation. So I don't have to feel guilty about not doing it. Right. Right. And 
And if I decide I want to do it, I can remove the element of guilt from the equation and say, I'm going to do this because I love my mother and I want her to be happy, right? And I like having a happy relationship with her. That's important to me, but not because she's guilty, right? You see? So you can lift yourself out of that position and make a clear decision, one that you won't have resentment about. Because mm-hmm. if you feel guilted into it, even if you do it, you're going to have resentment. And then the whole you know, experience is going to be negative mm-hmm. versus the opposite where I'm like, okay, remove the guilt. That's, that has nothing to do with me. That's her issue, right? That's her violation. Do I want to do this or not? why might I want to do it or not? And if I say, no, I don't really don't want to do it, then I have a way to explain it, right? Hey, this is my time. This is, I own myself. You own yourself. I don't get to tell you what to do either, right? Right. And this is kind of stepping out of other people's business, right? You can't claim yourself and then still be putting your hooks into other people too. You have to recognize their boundaries. If that's their choice, that's what they want to do. Okay. You know, you do that. That's, you know, I'm not going to interfere, right? I've got my boundaries and you've got yours and we can, you know, I can accept you for who you are. Right. And I ask that you accept me. So that's another whole level of, you know, interpersonal relationships that you can dig into just using this framework. So that's kind of, that's just sort of simple example about how you can apply this in your personal life and in the work relationships, right? And definitely then the final in leadership too. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you definitely got into that. And the final one, I'm sorry, Faith. Yeah. The final one is the effect. What is the impact of like things beyond my direct control, but that I contributed to? So in the law, we would have something where we'd say, okay, if a leader tells his followers to kill somebody, okay, to assassinate someone, then how much is he responsible, even though he didn't actually pull the trigger? that violated that person, the other person's body, right? Their property, he didn't commit the violation, but he instructed them to do it. Maybe you create a product, it's product liability, and you say, well, don't use the car this way or it's gonna blow up. But you know, probably a lot of people are gonna do that, right? And it blows up and that's Mm -hmm. foreseeable, right? Then how much responsibility do you have to take into account those things? And as a leader, that's huge. You have to be doing that all the time. You have to be looking ahead. You have to say, not just, you know, is this action I'm taking, is it like, like just sort of literally moral and okay, but what are going to be the potential impacts and how can I mitigate, you know, potential negative impacts in your business? You have to be looking for that all the time. Am I putting in place the right financial incentives for in contracts and partnerships, right? I'm constantly asking this to my clients and I look at their stuff. I'm saying, this is not the financial incentives in this contract or partnership are going against what you say you want to achieve, right? right? So you always need to be looking ahead for that as well. And that's, yeah, that's the fifth circle, I guess you could call it the fifth principle. I think that's, I mean, thank you for going into all that detail. And your examples are so fabulous because it really helps you envision what each ring really means. But I love how you talk about it all starts with you. I own me because like I said earlier, I always talk about, you know, how to, how are we going to be the leader of our lives? And I talk about it all the time. I'm like, guys, we have leadership backwards and obviously ladies, because it's mostly ladies that listen to my show. But we have leadership backwards. Typically, we're throwing people into leadership roles 
and they don't even know who they are, right? I mean, they don't know who they are. They don't, this concept I'm now running with too, they don't own themselves. They don't feel like they own themselves, at least as women, right? And then you're now in a leadership role. You have even more responsibility. And so you're spread even more thinly and you're giving, giving, giving. And I think it needs to be the other way around where you know yourself and you own yourself and you really understand who you are as a leader prior to going out and leading. Because when you know yourself, you're able to accomplish all these rings that you just discussed and more effectively lead but also understand yourself and more effectively lead in every area of your life because you covered that in your personal life, but also in work, family, whatever you're doing, uh, your community. And I think we've really had it backwards for a long time. We've not focused on ourselves first. And because I think, again, here's another thing is women, we think, oh, that's selfish. Nope. I'm going to dive in head first, put everyone else first. But it's not. You put yourself first, you own yourself, and then you go out and, oh my God, you have so much more to give. I think so. Absolutely. And I think that's the big lie that we've been fed. So it has to start with the core falsehood, understanding that that's false, that our first right is our own ownership of ourself and our body. And that is our paramount right. That is our primary right. Okay. And so, we can, of course, uh, be loving. We can, of course, be giving. We can share, right? But not because we feel that we have to, not because other people are demanding it of us, but because we choose to do so freely. Once we've taken care of our own garden, right? Of our own self. Once oh, I we've love that. Taking care of that. We tend have to your, tend to your to garden from faith. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> right? I love that. I love that. Yes. So. I agree. Oh, I love that. Your messaging just weaves beautifully into this podcast. That is perfect. I have to ask this though, Faith. So like we talked about very early on, you are so busy with two books, you teach, and you're an attorney. How did you go from this really incredible background and then you became an attorney? What was your inspiration to go into law? (laughs) So... It actually, one of the experiences I talk about in the book, so I actually grew up in Southeast Asia, Macau, Japan. I mean, the book takes you all over the world, Kazakhstan, uh, Russia, Taiwan, China. <laughs> I've lived in all these countries. That's awesome. But there was a time uh, where when I was 12, my parents got separated, forcibly separated by the leadership. They actually tore my family apart. And uh, my mother, myself, and two, my two baby siblings really uh, ended up in the U.S. and were kind of accidentally kicked out of the group because we didn't have a home that would take us in. And my mother had no way to support herself. And so, you know, she had left school like just before she got her high school diploma. She had been in this group almost her entire life. And so she had no, you know, job skills, no education. And I rem- and, you know, we also were taught that having normal jobs was bad, right? So I remember like being in a parking lot, you know, you walk around with those little cans, you see people out there raising donations. So I was, you know, pretending to be raising donations for our volunteer work, which we had done in the past, but really I was just trying to get enough money to feed, you know, my family and, and pay for a place for us to sleep for the night in our camper. And, you know, just those experiences of like living on the edge like that 
watching my mom struggle, struggling. And eventually uh, my father came and got us and we went back into the group because we really couldn't support ourselves or make it on the outside. And that had a huge impression on me and on my mother. And that kind of, I knew I wanted to get an education. So education was not allowed within the group. It wasn't encouraged anything past like about a sixth grade education because you were going to be a missionary and just start having babies. And there were no careers other than, you know, singer, cook, teacher. (laughs) So I actually put myself through high school with a correspondence course. I had my mother get the books and I did it on my own. And then when I got older and left the group, it was not because I I didn't believe in the teachings of the group because that was all I knew. It was actually because I really wanted to go to college. I, I just had this burning desire that had kind of been implanted in me from, I guess, certain books I'd read and snuck and books my grandmother had sent me who wasn't in the group. And so I, that was really what pushed me. I just, I couldn't stand having my entire life, every aspect of it constantly controlled and being constantly supervised, you know, and here I was in my early twenties, I was like 22 at the time. So like just after I turned 23 is when I, I left, I made the decision to leave. And it was a very difficult decision because I didn't have, you know, any backup. I didn't have any money. I didn't have, you know, yeah. but I was like, I don't care. I'm going to leave. I found a job teaching English so that I could uh, for the summer, so I could earn enough money to buy a plane ticket to fly back to America where I had relatives who were not in the group and where I planned to like try to go to college. So, you know, it's a fight. If you want to leave an abusive, restrictive relationship, situation, group, cult, whatever it is, it's, it's not easy. It's a fight. And what I didn't have was I didn't really have a roadmap. I had to figure out all this stuff for myself. And I think if I had understood these principles earlier, it would have helped a lot. So that's one reason I'm passionate about sharing them because I think, you know, if you really want to get this into yourself, that you own yourself, you get to make your choices, that is fully up to you. And so when I left, I, I basically, I, I figured out how to do the system. I went to community college because I didn't have an academic record that anybody, any schools would recognize. And I studied hard. I got A's. I, I started bartending at night to, you know, support myself. And then I went to Georgetown Wow! and I graduated, you know, top of my class from Georgetown and went on to Berkeley and, you know, became a lawyer. And the funny thing is uh, at first when I had gone back to school, my initial uh, thing about going to college, I took lots of classes in, you know, international development and microfinance and all kinds of stuff, because I had lived in these countries. And I talk about it just, I lived in Kazakhstan. I'd lived in these countries that had been just torn apart. We did humanitarian aid work. I mean, there was some really good stuff that the group did. And I just saw how desperate these situations were and how, you know, because as a teenager, I was delivering boxes of food aid to orphanages. And, you know, I just saw that like they had no way to support themselves. The economy was in shambles. People weren't getting paid. I was like, just delivering boxes of aid is not enough. We have to change the economy, the government, how people think we need to think on a much bigger scale. So that was why I wanted to go to college. When I was in college, one of the aspects, you know, when you're in that sort of group and that mindset, they mold your mind and they make you think, well, you know, now you got to get an advanced degree and this and that. And I wouldn't necessarily tell people to get an advanced degree unless they didn't really know what they're passionate about. At that time, I really still had 
no idea who I was and what I wanted to be. But so I couldn't get a master's degree. And I was dating someone at the time who was a lawyer. And he said, you have a really good mind for law. You should think about becoming a lawyer. And I said to myself, well, at least if I'm a lawyer, if I have a law degree, then I'll always be able to hang out a shingle and support myself. Right. And, and honestly, that was fundamental to me after that experience of, you know, basically like almost being on the streets with my family that I was like, I have to be able to support myself. I have to be able to take care of myself. I have to be able to rely on myself, you know? And I was like, even if like you can't get a job or you can't get hired, a lawyer is like a profession. It's like a plumber, right? I have a license. I can go do it. Absolutely. that was really why I decided to become a lawyer <laughs> or nope. go to law I love school. this. I love this story, Faith. That's incredible. Um, I think, you know, every woman that comes on this podcast, and I say this almost every single time, so bear with me, guys. I know. But something happens in your childhood, which for you, a lot happened in your childhood, a lot. But there's always a significant event that happens that really like inspires you and molds what you end up doing. Right. And so for you, it's several events because you do several things. So it all makes sense to me now in having this conversation with you because you have the books, but you're also an attorney and you, that was, you identified being an attorney or a lawyer with security and you didn't have security or you were on the brink of not having that security and you wanted to always be able to provide for yourself and provide for your family or you know whoever you're providing for. And I do not have as extreme of a, a story, but my mother was also a single mother of four kids and she did not have much more than a high school education and she was a stay-at-home mom and then my parents you know split apart. So I worked very young. I was doing jobs very young. And I remember thinking to myself at 13 years old going again, not as extreme as your situation, but going, I will be damned if I ever have to, you know, rely on a man or if I ever have to rely on X, Y, Z, I will have an education or I will have a profession where I can always make money. And here we are today. I have, Here you are. <laughs> I have more than one business and I have made sure that I've always had the ability to take care of myself. I do think those things shape you and mold you. And so, yeah, I appreciate you sharing that part of your story as well, because there's so many different aspects to your story. And I think it's really inspiring. And I want to ask you this before we close up, we're going to have to do a part two faith, because there's just so much to talk about. And I know we want to talk about financial stuff in part two. So guys look out for that one, but I want to ask you, we talk about how to be the leader of your life on the podcast. I think you've answered it really beautifully already, but do you have anything else you want to add to my wonderful listeners and any experience or any pieces of information you'd like to close on how they can really step into their leadership? We know they need to really own themselves, but any other, any other tidbits you'd like to add as we close? I think that's, you know, it's the most important part, you know, becoming the leader of yourself before you try to lead other people. That's really the most important part because when you take responsibility for yourself, for your thoughts, your actions, your emotions, you stop putting that on other people, you already are a leader, even if you don't have the title. And the other thing that I would say is if you do get the chance to go and, and buy the book, it's called Sex Cult Nun. I, I walk each, I mean, it, it's you know very interesting, gripping, as they say in the titles. I, I actually did an interview on Dr. Oz, so you can go to my YouTube channel. And it's posted there. It's 
Faith Jones author. And I, I have a lot of videos I've made, content, uh, just teaching, teaching principles, teaching a lot of these things. So you're welcome to go there and check that out. The book, it's it walks through, it's kind of a how-to on what not to do. You see a lot of <laughs> you know, sex call none. It's, it's really, yeah. it, it shows you what not to do. It shows you, you know, I think a lot as women, we have experienced a lot of very difficult stuff. I mean, I talk about rape. I talk about coercion. I talk about child abuse, but I also talk about overcoming and, you know, the revelations that I had and how I became who I am today. So I, it's, Ultimately, you know, there's a lot of tough stuff in in the book for sure, but ultimately it is very inspiring and, you know, sort of showing that it doesn't matter where you come from, doesn't matter what happened to you. You can be the author of your life and you can choose who you want to be and what you want to do. And, you know, so I think we need we need more people to show us that. There's just so much negativity in the world today. There's so much going yes. wrong. I think we need people to show us, hey, you know, you can, you can be happy. Even yes. if you've suffered abuse and, and assault and all kinds of stuff, you can reach a place in your life. I mean, like, I really am happy. You know, I've done the healing work. And that's what I wrote about in my first book, I Own Me. I walk women through, you know, how do you think about these topics if you've been abused? How do you, how do you realign your mental state, your psychology, your principles? And I also put in uh, like some of the most effective healing techniques that I've found for myself. I literally go through that. I put it in the book so you can do it for yourself because I'm, I'm a big believer in DIY, do it yourself. Yes, <laughs> um, I am. You know? yes. So I'm like, I'm not trying to coach you. I'm going to give you all the tools and tell you, yes. here it is, put it in your hands. You got to take the responsibility and yes. run with it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we're going to link all this in the show notes as well. Both of your books, the interview, we definitely want all of that in here. Faith, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Maya. And thank you for the work that you are doing, inspiring women, speaking to women, connecting with women, um, inspiring them to step into their leadership and, and being a model and example of this yourself is just uh, so important for all of us. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Faith. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. It's what I'm passionate about. And thank you guys for listening. And we'll see you back here next week on My Opinion. Thank you so much for listening to the My Opinion podcast. You can catch up on past episodes on the My Opinion podcast website at www.myopinionpodcast.com as well as read the My Opinion blog and contact Maya directly with your questions. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at My Opinion Podcast and Maya Roffler. We'll see you back here next week.